Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. They were sitting on a natural amphitheater on a sloping hill beside the Sea of Galilee, and some were rough fishermen with their hired hands, and some were very shrewd tax collectors and their cronies. Uptight religious leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees were there because they were growing increasingly curious about Jesus, and they were increasingly curious about this new preacher around Palestine. There were really hardworking tradespeople of all sorts, as well as mothers and their children. They were ordinary people there, like me and like you, or broken, hurting, afraid. There were people like us and people like me and you. And if one thing was happening in their towns and villages that day that was happening, there was this guy named Jesus who arrived on the scene, which what he called the gospel of God. It had been joyfully announcing everywhere as he traveled the good news that history had made, reached a major turning point. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near so very near because of him and in him. And things started happening because of this. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered blindness now were able to walk. People were being set free, held back by demonic spirits. And people were experiencing having their sins forgiven. Troubled minds were finding peace. Hope was being restored. People from all over the region of Galilee were coming to see him. And so if we started last week and we're going to continue on through the Beatitudes, we're going to immerse ourselves in the words of Jesus as some of the most powerful words ever given. And they are referred to as the Beatitudes. And throughout the centuries, they have leapt off the page and they were spoken on a Galilean hillside, and they've leapt off the page and they are placed all over our world in greeting cards, on posters, hanging on walls, and through various emails as well. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can go there with us. Matthew 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. Uh, We'll be in Matthew, so if you're there today, page 683 of the Bible in front of you. Um, we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures, and I pray that you would find a church that does the same. Find one that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. Um, you can go there right now. We're going to talk a little bit about it. The word beatitudes. If you find a little kind of the subtitle, the, the little header of most of those Matthew five, it's going to be called beatitudes, and that comes from the Latin word beatito because. Uh, the word, the first word of each statement in the Latin Vulgate, one of our earliest translations, is beati, which translates Matthew's Greek word, markarios, which is blessed. And then best what we can find, best translation is blessedness, and thus the word beatitudes, which come from these. Um, and let us set up, let's kind of set up the context here for a minute as we go throughout this. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And you will find in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a vision for what God wants us and how to live into the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven on earth right now. This is a vision for what life with God looks like. This is what happens when kingdom life happens on the ground. And this is what happens when the good news of Jesus is infused and it dwells within us. And this is what happens when that gospel comes in us. And then we, Jesus has come to save us from our sin and separation from God. And God forever dwells with us because of that. This is what happens when God gets hold of the human heart and begins to change someone. And then someone begins to live out that 
that, those teachings. And so it comes out of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four accounts about the life of Jesus. And so I'm grateful that we have all four of those as they point and show the life of Jesus. Matthew's telling us the story as if he was there. Matthew's a former tax collector. Those guys were hated in that day. And um, sometimes tax collectors nowadays aren't the very, uh, you know, um, yeah. Um, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so he's writing this gospel. He's writing this through the eyewitness eyes of Jesus. And uh, he's got this front view of Jesus, and he's writing this through the, what's happening with Jesus. And you see, Jesus comes to present a kingdom, not of this world. He turns everything right side up. The qualities he blesses seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down. The world, the, the old humanity, the world is upside down. And when Jesus comes, he brings forth a kingdom that does not look like any of the qualities that the world might bless. So right side up, if you notice those Beatitudes, right side up are the meek, right side up are the merciful, right side up are the poor in spirit. Our world is upside down, which is why such qualities and values seem and feel upside down. You may be thinking, man, like, that's just not the way the world works, pastor. Like, you're getting up there and preaching about, like, poor in spirit and merciful, and, like, the world just is cruel, it's hard, people are just bad. I mean, I came here, and, like, I, I got cut off with the driver, and it's like, God's like, blessed are the meek. Like, there's some guy who, like, you just don't get it. It's like, the world is just tough. And I think that's the point with these Beatitudes. God blesses the very thing that God blesses are, is, is a world that is turned, a kingdom that's turned upside down. And that's how the kingdom becomes in us as well. It feels upside down because the world is upside down. These, these qualities feel, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And these become, Jesus comes to begin to change the world through ordinary people who are changed by the gospel. Then these qualities begin to emerge. So Daryl Johnson says it this way, poverty and spirit and mourning and gentleness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity and heart, and peacemaking and being persecuted are all the result of the gospel breaking through us. They are consequences of turning around and embracing the reign of Jesus Christ. These are qualities that must be done if, if only we embrace the gospel first. These aren't passive qualities. This is an ongoing encounter with Jesus and his ever-deepening relationship with him. It's a result of being infused by his grace, the result of the kingdom coming in and its work doing in us. And if we follow Jesus, we may read some of the Beatitudes and we may put ourselves up to a mirror and say, I wonder and I just want to know if that's being reflected in my walk and if that's being such qualities are in my heart. Which is why Jesus even says, the beginning of the sermon, is why he says to repent and to follow. Because you see, the Beatitudes express what a life with God, kingdom life, looks like. These are the values of a life expressed of a person whose life lives under the reign and the authority of the king. And through these blessings, we will find out, Jesus announces that these are the ones who will experience the divine life. They are the ones through whom the kingdom will grow and expand. And though the world seems to kind of trample on these kinds of people, like the pure in heart, the poor in spirit, they're the very ones whom God himself blesses. And the very ones himself whom Jesus will advance his reign and his rule, people who are just like himself. And as we'll learn, beatitudes are all expressed in the life of Jesus. So Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began 
to teach them. It's good news that when they came, that he begins to teach them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who what? Mourn, for they will be what? Comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those, this day, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The word blessed, you can almost say the word blessed means like happy or in sync or harmonious, synchronized are those who are heartbroken and grief stricken. Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to people such as these. In this sentence, in the original language of the Bible, it is those who are mourning, if you're into grammar, anyone here into grammar in school? Anyone like grammar class? Okay, about three people, uh, just like the rummage sale thing. Okay, four people. So just like the rummage sale idea. Uh, okay, well, grammar and... Gar- uh, um, no, we're going to keep going. Okay, so gra- gra- grammar and garage sales. Okay. Um, that word is in the present active pars- participle. So it means that people who are mourning. Blessed are those who are now mourning. Who are now heartbroken because they're heartbroken who have this blessing. It is good to know that God's hands are with people who experience deep sadness. It's very good to know. It's okay to grieve. It's okay not to be happy all the time. This beatitude gives us the freedom to grieve and to mourn. And Jesus himself was overcome by passionate grief. And he openly expressed that in his ministry. In fact, the Beatitudes all show us the life of Jesus. They were reflected in all of them. Of course, all the course of Jesus' ministry. The prophet Isaiah tells us that he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the multitudes bringing their sick to them, he felt compassion for them. And that word compassion has to do with the very insides of Jesus. Very word. He felt deeply felt compassion from the gut of who he was. The living God chooses to enter the wreckage because he feels it himself for us. And he feels us at his own. John tells us this, that Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus wept along the, gra- the grave of his good friend Lazarus. And tears streamed down his face. Why? Because the pain he could feel in the hearts of Mary and Martha. And the pain that he was feeling, the tears are the overflow of the Creator's heart, saying, death ought not to be. And get close to that heart, but we cannot help but be moved in the same way. A word here as it relates to the church, and of which I am a part, oftentimes the church has not always done the best job in shared suffering. What do I mean? Compassion is sharing in one another's suffering. And sometimes in our North American culture, embedded in our constitution is the pursuit of what? Happiness. And sometimes we are ashamed as Christians if we are ashamed of our grief. Just do a quick scroll through social media, 
you'll find just as much projecting the image of happiness of what's going on beneath the surface. So I want you to know, at this church, I will always strive to embody the message of Jesus as it relates to grieving and to suffering. And sometimes the ministry collectively we have toward others as a congregation as it relates to emotional pain, we sometimes see it as a problem to be fixed rather than people who need our supportive presence. The Christian life, the call to follow Jesus, is not a call to happiness. If you're in Christ, you and I have a deep-seated joy in our heart. We have a deep-seated joy of knowing that we walk with Jesus, we don't walk alone, and we will live with him forever. We know that. There's a deep joy in resting in that promise, but we must be ministers of to support people in their pain and in their grief. Romans 12, 15 tells us, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who what? Weep. And rather than being distant, we must incarnate God's love by willingly entering into one another's pain, getting very close to folks with deep amounts of pain and mourning and suffering and, the, and grief. You see, it is easy to lob advice, but it's more demanding to sit and to truly listen and to work slowly toward healing with a hurting couple, a broken marriage on the edge of collapse, a person tangled with addiction, a parent trying to sort out a relationship with a child and the next steps. A person under the heaviness of anxiety. We are people who walk the Christian life with others, and that includes in our suffering. If we are the church, if we in the church cannot be honest about our struggles in suffering, then we aren't being truly faithful to our Christian identity. For Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. When Jesus says take up your cross, that was the instrument of his death, instrument of his own suffering. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to take that up and follow me. The call to the Christian life is to take up our cross, be a people formed by that cross, and the implications of that life is that suffering is going to be involved. And if we're to take up our cross, suffering will be a part of that life. We walk with people in the midst of their pain, not just around it, but in the midst of it. The kingdom life is realized in proximity with one another and closest with one another. The suffering, the brokenhearted, the hard-hearted, the skeptics, the faint of heart. The church should be and is made up of these kinds of people. We are to draw close to them, bringing forth the kingdom of God in all of its fullness to those people all these kinds of people. We are also a people who hearts break over the state. We mourn because we suffer, but we also break over the state of our world. In sync are those who mourn over the condition of what can be and what must be for the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who break over the brokenness of our world. Blessed are those when the world might look down upon and even trample on. The people who view the brokenness and sin of the world, whose hearts break over the brokenness and fallenness of our world. There's a writer, his name is Nicholas Bolsterstorff. And a number of years ago, he and his wife lost their 25-year-old son, Eric, in a mountain climbing accident. In his book, Lament for a Son, Bolsterstorff openly shares his grief agonizing over the way the world is in light of the way the world is supposed to be. 
And in one of the chapters, he reflects on Jesus' second beatitude, and he asks, who are the mourners that Jesus blesses? And he writes this, the mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. They are the ones who realize that God's realm of peace, there is no one blind, and who ache whenever they see someone unseen. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one hungry and who ache when they see someone starving. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one falsely accused and who ache whenever they see someone imprisoned unjustly. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one who fails to see God and who ache whenever they see someone unbelieving. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one who suffers oppression and who ache when they see someone beat down. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one without dignity and who ache whenever they see someone treated with indignity. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there is neither death nor tears and who ache whenever they see someone crying over death. The mourners are aching visionaries. We said last week that the Beatitudes are a package deal. Everyone who belongs in the kingdom can have these qualities expressed in them. They are one after another and intertwined with one another, all of them. Have you ever braided someone's hair? Raise your hand if you have braided someone's hair before. Okay, I have not done that, um, but I asked my wife and I asked her about this and she verified this, okay? So I asked her, well, if you've ever braided someone's hair, or your own hair for that matter, you know that one braid links upon the other one. So you have to kind of go in a sequential order. And each one acts as if it's in a chain, and each one builds off of the other one. No accident where the first beatitude lands us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who understand they need God and are willing to go to the desperate lengths to receive their sustenance from God alone. The poor in spirit are people, God blesses the kind of people that know that they need God. And the word there, poor, in the original language is the force with those who are totally destitute without God. Happy and fortunate in sync are those who know that they need God, for theirs belongs the kingdom. These are the people whom are blessed. The kingdom belongs because they place their faith and trust in God and cannot be sustained. Blessed are those who understand they can't be sustained without God. And the idea of those who are blessed in the kingdom are those who come to God empty-handed. No good deeds, no moral leverage, nothing to barter with in exchange in the kingdom. The poor in spirit understand that without the mercy and grace of God, they are empty without God and empty without Him. Poor in spirit who recognize people that they are helpless without God's help. Lord, and this is the kind of the prayer as I was thinking about this, Lord, let my heart break for what breaks yours. There's a song that says those words, everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk into eternity. As that song goes, let my heart break for what breaks the Lord. Lord, help me to see as I draw closer to you in your heart. Let the things that break your heart break mine. Let me see the things that I dismiss that break your heart. And if I'm honest, I often fall short on this piece. We often fail to recognize or dismiss those who are hurting and broken. The folks walking in darkness and needs around us, that in our kingdom bearing and drawing near to them, we can further the kingdom by entering into their mourning. And so often there's folks whom we would just like not to bother with or not enter into their pain. 
for the sake of convincing ourselves that they are indeed okay. But for those who are in the kingdom, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Lord, help us to see the sorrow that you see. Lord, help us to be people beyond their appearance. Lord, help us to see other people in the image of God. Now, behind every human face tells a story, a layered story of a strained relationship. A close member of the circle, their family gone too soon. An empty seat at a dinner table. A broken heart over a love story that's gone away. A lost opportunity to grow as a person. Behind every face is a layer. And there's people who are hurting behind those layers. Blessed are those who mourn, who those souls, those whom souls are touched with the heart-piercing sorrow over this world's brokenness, for they will be comforted. These are the beatitude people who have a heart and a spirit that are open to this world's suffering. People who have the intuition and the courage to, and the grace to ask about the story behind the face. Every person has broken pieces that make up a narrative that dwells within their heart and their story. We are all human beings created in God's image that inhabit a fallen world. Happy, too, is the person that mourns for others. We belong to a world that there is pain all around us. And on the day you and I are go whistling down the street, glad for sunshine and achievement, the person we may pass may be weeping because of an illness with a spouse or a child, the agony of rejection. While we're attending a party or a promotion, someone in our neighborhood is dull in despair over the treadmill quality of his or her career. On the Saturday of one person's wedding reception, another is coping with rejection. Four courageous and life-giving words that those who mourn ask, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Why is it that we often can't see such people? Why is it we don't see others for who they are? Could it be, church, that we guard our hearts to keep from mourning ourselves? Could it be we've closed our hearts off to the pain of this world at so many points that we lose our capacity to mourn? Could it be we've come numb to life in a fallen world? Perhaps too many people to care about, too many to handle. Perhaps we've got enough problems of our own. It's too overwhelming to exert to that much energy. Perhaps we've learned the skill too well, too well that if you look at the world through a child's honesty, it can easily break your heart. And who wants a broken heart? Well, those who want divine comfort. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, we haven't let the Spirit of God weigh and sift through our hearts to change how we might see people. And if we would change, we would be comforted by God. We must, in a sense, be people of a broken heart. For this, it seems, we will still need the candid sight of a child to see what we cannot see. It reminds us what Jesus says. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I've noticed this throughout my very short life, that children are very, very honest, aren't they? Very honest, brutally honest sometimes, very honest. But they also see others in the way that they mourn and they see others in their pain and grief that even draws a pause for me. When I have seen my wife express grief or tears, or if I have done the same, 
Gwen is right there next to her and I, even at her young age. She's just kind of, they're just there. Children often see and notice the pain in others and then extend that comfort when they see it. So in a sense, God, help us to be more childlike and exhibit childlike faith to those who are mourning and to those whom we can comfort and go and be with and be next to. You see, every child born in the world is absolutely and completely, totally helpless. And so it is every child born into the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The children of the kingdom enter it helpless. You see, if Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will not be because he has personally preached to more people than any man in history. It will not be because he has remained impeccable in his finances where so many people have not. It will not be because he has been a faithful husband. It will not be because despite his, his fame, he has remained a humble and kind person. When Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will be because he came to Christ as a helpless child. It will, it will be because of God's undeserved kindness towards Billy's helplessness. We come to God first with helpless dependence and help us to see the pain and realize that in others. Robert Fulgham wrote in the Kansas City Times, most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there's a sandbox at nursery school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't think, take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. The writer captured here what in part, uh, the heart and sort of captured in part of what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The comforter is the Holy Spirit. And there, in that original language of the Bible, the same root word paraclete, that's the same word comforter as the Holy Spirit that indwells all of us who calls ourselves followers of Jesus, paraclete. Holy Spirit comes alongside of all those who call themselves followers of Jesus by faith and who are strengthened through mourning. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that through the brokenness of this world, that God is at work and that the kingdom is invading and disturbing the status quo. Jesus' own words in John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The kingdom of God belongs to those who mourn. In sync, blessed, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If life has beaten you down too many times to count, Jesus' right-side-up kingdom calls you blessed. In fact, you're promised comfort as you go through it. The kingdom belongs to you. As a corporate prayer, we've been praying this as we seek Matthew 6.33. We are going to seek, seek him. And seek, we seek him with all his kingdom above all else this year. As we seek him and seek his, 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 his precepts, his, his, his words above all else this year. This is the prayer. Lord, let my affections and my desires for you be aligned above all else. Have my purpose be for your glory to see your kingdom come. And may it begin to shine forth in my life. God, help me to see about your kingdom coming 
in my family, in my community, in my, in my neighborhood, on my street, the person that I may, the may, may neglect, but the Lord is sort of tapping me on the shoulder, even in this moment, that that neighbor that I'm too scared, maybe sometimes or, or too just not sure about, but I know that there's something deeper going on in their life that I know the Lord is asking me to tap on the shoulder and say, how can I pray for you? How can I enter into your suffering? Lord, help me to see that above all else. Lord, help me to see, help me to see the people that we walk by, the people that I walk by on a daily basis. Help me to enter into their pain and suffering. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the mourners over the world. May I shine brightly for you. May your kingdom come in my life this coming year. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Amen. Amen. Worship team, will you come on up as we sing this together?